Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening to Leading Better and Growing Faster with Joe and TJ. I'm Joe. And I'm TJ. And we are The Schoolhouse 302. Where you can find blog posts, podcasts with expert guests, curated book recommendations, and our genius thoughts. Always on a topic that is proven to help you lead better and grow faster. If you want to support the show, all you have to do is hit us with a like, a share, a follow, or a comment. On our site or on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, or wherever you access our material. Again, thanks for listening and for leading better and growing faster with us. Here we go with another great episode. Hello, everyone. Here we are with our guest, Debbie Silver. Debbie, thank you so much for joining us. This is my joy. Well, we appreciate you being here. This episode, we're focused on inspiring educators to enjoy the job they once loved. Um, TJ, why don't you tell our audience a bit more about Debbie? Sure thing, Joe. Thanks for that. Dr. Debbie Silver is a former Louisiana Teacher of the Year a best-selling author, and a highly sought-after speaker. She's presented to educators, administrators, parents, and students in 49 states. Get this, she's never been to Delaware, boots on the ground, presented (laughs) to Delaware leaders. We got to fix that. We know a lot of Delaware leaders listen to this show. She's been to Europe, Asia, Africa, Canada, Mexico, Australia, and the Middle East. We got to get her to Delaware, folks. (laughs) Best-selling books include Drumming to the Beat of a Different Marchers, Teaching Kids to Thrive, the recently updated and revised Fall Down Seven Times, Get Up Eight, and Deliberate Optimism, Still Reclaiming the Joy in Education, something we're going to talk to her about today. Debbie's high energy sessions address both the art and heart of teaching. Audiences delight in hearing this 30-year veteran teacher whose presentations are described as where learning collides with laughter. All right, Debbie, we want to dive into this conversation In particular, like Joe said, about inspiring educators to enjoy the job they once loved. We know there are a lot of folks out there who need to be inspired. There are no doubt challenges in this profession, but there's nothing more powerful than an inspired workforce and seeing the fruits of our labor in such an awesome and noble profession that we love um, and still work in. So let's start here. How do we begin to help those teachers who were once once inspired and who are now not. And remember, there's a lot of administrators who listen to this show who want nothing more than to inspire their workforce, but they want the tools and tactics to be able to do that. I totally agree with that. In the book, uh, Deliberate Optimism, we really have a large part that addresses the leadership component, both administrators and also teacher leaders, because we think it is the veterans now that need to step up and say, okay, it is so worth it what we're doing. It is so worth it. Um, that we support each other. And my big thing that I just keep begging for administrators to hear is that teachers need more time away from kids. They need time to develop their relationship culture. And that's got to be purposeful. That's got to be intentional. Uh, We can't do the egg crate culture anymore. Everybody goes in their room and shuts the door. What we're seeing in successful schools, optimism is, is where we're really facilitating that ability for teachers to support each other, to uphold each other, to learn together to keep moving forward. And I think one thing that has stopped that right now is teachers feel stagnated. They feel caught in the political divide that we have in this country. They feel caught from parents coming in now that, you know, we like to say everybody thinks you're an expert on school because 
they went, you know, and teachers are just inundated right now. A lot of top-down directives, a lot of management coming from outside forces. And with all of that, you know, then we have the behavioral problems, the SEL skills that we, we lost during COVID. I mean, just be honest about that. And people are jumping all over us now saying, and we've got this learning loss and all of this added pressure. And I think what we have to do now is just take a step back and breathe and get with teachers and say realistically, you know, some stoicism here. These are the things we could control. These are the things we cannot control. So let's take those things we cannot control and say, how do we work around that? How do we work through that? How do we circumvent that? But build our skills and force our energy toward those things that we can control. And with the focus being, this is my whole context about realistic optimism, is not that everything's going to be light and lovely all the time because it's not, but to say there are things we can control and what we do matters. The short answer to that very long explanation is we've got to get back to focus on, on what matters, what we're doing that changes lives. And veteran teachers know this for the most part. But I think with our new Gen Z and a lot of our millennials, they've not had that chance yet. The teachers that entered this field during COVID, I don't think they've had a chance to really experience like what you guys have, what I have, the total responsibility and the total, I would say, honor of being able to change the trajectory of kids' lives. And we're not talking about that so much right now. It's the little bitty mundane, I would say, sometimes inconsequential stumbling blocks. And, and Debbie, there's a lot we could dive into there. And I would like to go back at some point to this idea of relationship culture among staff, because I haven't really heard it put that way. And I love that. But before we go down that road, and maybe perhaps a little bit later, um, what I hear you saying too, and I've heard you mention this before, and I'm really about changing this trajectory. And I think if you could just expand on this a little bit, there's a part of the art of teaching. And I think we're focused on that a lot, but then there's the heart of teaching. And that is that kid side of really why we all go into this work. Can you just build on that some and how some of these younger staff members, younger educators could really start to embrace and in get back to that joy for seeing kids learning, experiencing schools in positive ways. Right. And I think, you know, one of the things we have to learn as educators is these are incremental steps and we don't get a lot of closure in our job. You know, a lot of the seeds that we're planting right now don't come to fruition until long after the kids have left our classrooms. So as veterans, we have the benefit of them coming back and saying, you know, when you said so-and-so and you're thinking, no, I have no idea what you're talking about, but they're going, that really changed my life. But for the moment, what I'm telling teachers is to look at their eyes, watch for the spark. You know, my favorite thing about teaching, I think, is when I hear other teachers that have given up on a kid and you know how that goes. They look at your roster and go, oh my God, you've got Leroy. This is awful. You know, he's crazy. His parents are crazy. They've got papers. They're certified. But you get all this business. Then you get Leroy and you get on a topic or you get on a skill set that just connects with that kid. And you watch the face light up. You watch the eyes, you know, and, and when you see me in person, I just do, you know, that that little, you know, when they get it. And to grab that moment and just like, 
yes, you know, yes, that's what we're here. And to just appreciate that, to say, all right, small steps, let's keep moving forward. But, you know, my whole thing now is about efficacy. And, you know, Bandura talks about organizational agency, which we've come to call collective efficacy in our staffs, which gets back to the cultural respect and responsibility. But you build that among the educators that support each other. You know, I saw a glimmer today and we're looking for glimmers instead of triggers. You know, I could go on all day on this, but I think our culture has gotten very knee-jerk reaction, very quick to assume the worst about everybody, each other. You know, we don't trust the parents. They don't trust us. We don't trust administrators. They don't trust us. And I think we've got to get back to this assuming the best in the people with whom we work, just like we do the kids that we teach. Until proven differently, I'm going to assume that you're operating in good faith. And I think we've lost that some. Our new, our younger teachers, we have to show them, you know, to take joy in the little steps, in the little movements forward, in the, the little note, the little smile, the connections that is the heart of teaching, that you are changing the trajectory of kids' lives and meaning that you single-handedly see that you've changed a kid from the Eeyore, you know, I can't, so I won't, so I quit, so I fail, so I quit, that learned helplessness, that you can help turn that into self-efficacy. You help that kid become their own advocate and you teach them to say, okay, you know, like coaches say, when you go, well, coach, I still failed. And coach says, well, you failed better. You know, why aren't we saying that to kids? You know, all right, you still didn't make a hundred, but you got five more right than you did last time. That's worth looking at. That's worth celebrating. And if we could change that attitude of, you know, focusing on the growth when a child is just, like I said, that learned helplessness, I just can't, I can't go on. And we say, but you can't yet, you know, you're not done yet. And I'm not done with you yet. And we're not just trying to check the boxes and mark off the essential ideas. And now the standardized test is over. You know, we, we have to move around that beyond that and say, this is a journey and I'm right here. I've got your back. But we also have to say that to each other. And I think we're kind of missing that in our staff now that even though we may disagree and we have some pretty strong disagreements on staff now because politics has jumped into our schools big time, we have to agree on this mutual respect that I'm going to respect your ideas and we're going to come to a collective understanding of what we do at this school and we're all going to support it. We're going to disagree in private, but when we get out there in front of our student body and our parents, we're on the same page. And I think that's what's kind of missing right now in our schools is we are shooting ourselves in the foot. We go off and, you know, we go to the beauty shop and we make statements about the other teachers in our school or about other schools in our district or about students. And we are the teachers. We are the base of education. So we've got to pull in a more united front. You know, I tell teachers all the time, you don't hear lawyers shooting each other down. You don't hear doctors talking about each other in public. You know, that's done in private. I mean, there's a lot of wisdom there. I actually wrote down several quotes, including we're looking for glimmers, not triggers. I think that's really important. We tend to look for gaps instead of bright spots in education. Yes. And that's a piece of wisdom, I think, for anybody listening. I also wrote down, and these are quotes, we might not agree on everything, but we have to agree on mutual respect. Um, I have several follow-up questions, Debbie. I'm wondering first, the how. One thing that's coming to my mind for school leaders is what you described that teachers need to do with kids, look for the glimmer, look for the incremental improvement. Leaders need to do that for teachers. I right. think we've gotten away from that incremental growth for our educators. I mean, say what you will about No Child Left Behind, but we were focused on 
growing our teachers and a growth model during that time, I think, you know, subsequent to that, I just don't know if we're focused enough on teacher capacity. And I, you started there. I want to know how, like when you train leaders and you train, you said teacher leaders at the beginning, how do you do that? Do you just model it by being in the classroom with teachers and saying, wow, did you see what you just did there and point it out to them? Or are there other strategies that you would tell school leaders to use to kind of get back to that inspiration? That's the first part. And the second part is, I'm just curious why you think that teachers, why do we tear each other down when lawyers don't? Like, what is it about our DNA that does that? So it's kind of a I, I don't, I don't, don't think mind. it's DNA. I think it's inbred culture thing. You know, you're taught from the time you go to medical school that you don't throw off another dog. And you're taught that as lawyers. I think as teachers, we've never articulated that and said, you know what? Uh, they're dividing and conquering us. And let's get smart about this. I also think we need to provide ways for teachers to vent and to, in a positive way, call each other to task, which is another thing I believe deeply in. You know, a teacher, we'll talk all day to kids and we'll even go talk to the principal if two people will go with us. But we don't talk to each other about the hard stuff. And I think that leaders need to provide an opportunity for that. We need more unencumbered time. I was reading just yesterday, I think, somebody was saying that new teachers shouldn't teach more than four hours a day. That four hours should be spent observing master teachers, doing their research, working on their lesson plans, you know, honing their own skills. But, you know, we're big into SEL now, social emotional learning for kids. Well, how about some of that for teachers? You know, how about let's devote some professional development time to team building and to conflict resolution? You know, we're all talking about let's teach these kids how to resolve their conflict. Well, I'm saying let's teach the grown-ups how to resolve their conflicts. Let's do some practice. And so more than just modeling, TJ, which I loved your idea about modeling because God, what a great way to build, you know, a teacher's efficacy. But I think teachers can do that for each other and that we can get in collaboration. And we need to be taught that. It's not just, okay, here's another movement. Let's throw teachers in and let them start talking to each other because we'll mess it up, you know, just because we're humans. But let's show them this is, you know, how you respectfully disagree. This is how you respectfully put something aside. This is also sometimes you can't always be right. You can't always have it your way on the team. And you can disagree with your team all you want to when you're in your team meeting. But when you come out in front of those kids, in front of the public, in front of the teachers, we are a united front. And, you know, I look at professional sports. They don't tear each other apart. That's my teammate. And by golly, you said it about te my teammate. You said it about me. And I, I wish we had that mindset. Somebody said, well, I can't stand how Mr. Schneider's doing blah, blah, blah. And you might say, well, you know, that's something you probably want to talk to Mr. Schneider about. I can't see him ever doing something like that, but I'm going to ask him about that instead of, yeah, you're right. You know, I hear that all the time. You know, he's always the close. I mean, we've got to quit throwing each other under the bus and we've got to take our power back. And that's one of the tenants delivered optimism. Number four, the principle is own it. And I'm all about teachers owning it. This is our profession. The audacity of people to come in and start micromanaging how we teach. We don't go to the hospital and walk into surgery and start correcting the surgeon. You know, you don't go into your court case and start correcting your lawyer. So let's give teachers this benefit of we've had training. We do constant professional development. And I tell teachers, I was like, take every certificate you've ever earned, put it on your wall, just like the real estate people do. But I don't think we take enough credit for the hours of intensive education and practice and internship that we do, that we let people just start coming in and 
flying off the handle like you don't know what you're doing you didn't you know and we let them talk to new teachers like that well this is your first year how would you know they just went through four years of intensive training and they went through student teaching so yeah they're learning and we're all going to help them learn and that's fine but I'm not going to let one of my colleagues be demeaned that way it goes back to what you started with Debbie with the relationship and yes. you were talking I was going through my own experiences and couldn't help but think there is an odd dynamic where you are learning Learning your craft almost completely independent of other educators. Yes. And that happens in no other profession. Look at your Apple or any of those. Those are collaborative efforts. And when we do our building of our skills, that is done together. And there's time for reflection and there's time for comment and there's time for that development. But, you know, we run a bunch of teachers in the gym. We get a speaker up there who may or may not address their particular needs, their particular skill set or questions. And then it's like, all right, y'all got that? Okay, start implementing it. And I don't see that in any profession except for education. Yeah, I think we started to try it with professional learning communities, which obviously got rocked pretty heavy with COVID and s some other issues. But even that, I'm not sure we always do some of those things the way they were intended to do. Like when you said separate, give teachers more time away from students, yep. it is to perfect the craft. So when the time is together, it's more powerful. I think many of us tried this within our PLCs but I'm just not sure the level of fidelity they're done at this point and how much teachers are actually sharing and working with one another. And Joe, I think a lot of that has to do with the expectation that's set forth by the leader, the modeling. If you have a group of teachers, and I would be the one that would be off task, I can promise you that. Not on purpose, it's just my personality, but you have a leader that drops in and just gently brings them back. But, you know, but what have we decided here? Where's your agenda? You know, where are y'all on your plan that you put leaders in place that are very task oriented. There are people out there that love that. You know, they're very concrete, they're very sequential, and they're really good at keeping people to task while inviting people like Debbie here, who's totally random squirrel, you know, embracing what they have to say and offer. But also it's a very serious business. We don't want to take ourselves too seriously, but at the same time, that is very valuable time that's carved out for the purpose of getting better. And so we don't allow that to become a gripe session, jump on the bandwagon or, or Don Quixote tilting at windmills, you know, and I think very clearly we have to say to people, all right, guys, let's wrap this down. Which of these things do we have direct control over? Okay, that would be none of them. So we're not talking about that and then move on. So when you talk about the culture of relationship, it is so important for leaders to make sure that teachers share everybody, not just teachers, some support staff, you know, everybody on the campus, all the adults. They have a common vision. They have a shared value system. They have effective communication and they demonstrate mutual respect. And I think as leaders, we will not tolerate people who do not respect others on campus, adults or kids. That is just not going to be tolerated. And then there has to be that sense of optimism, which means to me that we're going to take whatever we're given. Um, but that didn't just mean you accept it and say, oh, there's nothing I can do about it. It means you accept it. Okay, that is the way it is. So in accordance with what we're trying to accomplish here, what can we control? What can we do about this? And as a leader, I don't want anybody on my campus that doesn't believe they're making a difference. I'm just going to be honest about that. When you stop believing that what you do matters, then you're not helping anymore. You can't help anymore. You need to go. You need to find, and I'm not saying you're a bad person. I'm saying you don't 
belong on this team. You have to believe that. And uh, Joe, that goes back to your question earlier. What do we want new teachers to know? We want them to know that what you do matters. And we just can't have people wringing their hands going, oh, it doesn't matter what I say. These kids are so blah, blah, blah. Their parents are going to do it when they get home. That is such defeatism. That is such negativity that honestly, it doesn't help. It hurts. And I think when we communicate that to the public, that's what's hitting us back in the face right now. When they go, y'all aren't doing any good. You're not changing anything. You're not helping. That's our fault. We need to be telling our stories a little bit better. I know you guys have stories of kids that you literally changed their lives. And how often do you hear somebody say that? So in the book, we ask leaders, you know, get some of those teachers that are articulate and love to go to the Rotary Club, go to the Lions Club, you know, go to the city council. Let's tell our stories, our positive stories. So much to unpack there. Love that. I really like this concept of taking every certificate you've ever earned and putting it up on the wall. I mean, I yep. think that I've seen that in schools, but just demonstrating the amount of learning that you've done to be able to, to accomplish the feat of teaching young people, that needs to be demonstrated. And, and doctors do it and lawyers do it. They have their certificates up. You wouldn't go to a doctor. You don't go to a hairdresser who doesn't have their certificate up in the salon and yet teachers don't do that. We need to advocate for that. So much other information to unpack too, Debbie. Really appreciate that answer. I do want to switch gears just a little bit. Our listeners love to get some quick nuggets from our questions, as we call them the one thing questions. You don't have to answer it with just one thing. That's not the purpose, but the purpose is to distill some things for listeners. And you clearly have a wealth of knowledge. You've written books. You're speaking everywhere. We've got to get you to Delaware. You're, you're going <laughs> to tell Delaware. Get on board. Come on, Delawareans. We got DOE people listening to this podcast and everybody else. Let's get Debbie Silver. Who's one person or group who you follow for their knowledge or inspiration and where can we find them? I love Brene Brown, and who's not an educator, but Texas researcher who's done all kinds of things on shame and the importance of, of self-efficacy. So Brene Brown would be one. Uh, Anamont, who's another person who speaks pretty plainly. Rick Warmly is a huge friend of mine. I love anything that comes out of his mouth. I think he's extremely articulate and is on all the social media. Middle school, I'll just have to tell you, and, and I am a middle school person, that is my calling, but the uh, Association of Middle Level Educators has a wealth of things they put out. Middle Web, which curates a lot of articles and things, those are really, really, those are my go-tos. Those are. All of them are powerful. I don't know if we've had a show of late where somebody hasn't mentioned Brene Brown. We got to do a better job of trying to get her on the show. We feature her work quite a bit because I think it goes back what you say, Debbie, about this idea of relationship culture mm -hmm. and being vulnerable. But even from the superintendency throughout the organization, all of us have to be a little more vulnerable and a little more willing to face some of the challenges we're facing. Because some of these days are a little tough and are a little dark. And I think when you feel like you're not alone, but what's always resonated with me with Brene Brown and like Dare to Lead and some others are fa fabulous. But she has a, sh a podcast I listened to where when she started to get really popular, people were awful to her about like her looks, her appearance, nothing to do right. with her work. But it resonated with me as a professional because that's what happens here as well. Rather than talking about, you know, if kids are really learning in schools, you'll hear this anecdotal information from the community that is not relevant whatsoever. And it started to awaken 
taken me to shielding our school system from some of that, to be a little more on the offensive with our own narrative. So yeah, she's excellent. And uh, the others you mentioned as well. Also her empathy, Joe. And we need so much of that. I didn't even get into that, but that's absolutely huge. That And that's part of that giving people the benefit of the doubt is that empathy that we're going to allow people to be who they are, not try to get in and fix everything, which is what educators mean that we like to do, but just to hear them. I read something the other day that I thought was so important to us as educational leaders is she said, just remember that listening is not losing. And I think in our culture, we've gotten to the point, well, if I listen to their point of view, then I've already lost. And I'm thinking, no, you've already won if you just take the time to listen. And you guys in your administrative roles, that's mostly what you do is listen. And I think teachers need to do that. We need to listen to each other, listen to our parents, listen to our kids. But Brene Brown is kind of my go-to on that. What's the difference between sympathy, which doesn't help, and empathy? And she's really helped me clarify that and, and get better about my feedback with that. Yeah, I love this idea of listening is not losing. I mean, that's not powerful. Again. Why we feel like we're giving up ground when we're listening to others is a odd thing that I think is a relatively new dynamic though. Like we're losing footing or we're going to have less in a say and there's just so much desire to protect whatever yes. it is, but we're Territory. protecting. And I see this even when you were saying earlier about, you know, teachers and parents and, and so on and that dynamic, the parent's ability to listen and hear out the teacher and vice versa still with the child at the center. But for some reason, the child sometimes won't be at the center. And it's right. I think we lose our sight when that happens. Debbie, what's one thing that people should try to do on a regular basis that might make a difference in their day or life? I think to try to give people the benefit of the doubt. And that goes from, you know, driving to school when somebody cuts you off in traffic, <laughs> rather than having that knee jerk when a wave to them to say, you know what, I bet they're in a really big hurry. They may have something so present on their mind that they didn't even see me there. But so important, you know, with kids, because I teach middle school and their, their life will say anything, you know, just, you can't take yourself seriously. Or you're never going to make it. But even another teacher to just say, okay, I bet they didn't mean the way that that came out. You know, again, that goes back to looking for triggers all the time, which I think we're doing way too much of that. And we're teaching kids to do it. And I think we need to look for the positives there and to be able to step up and, I mean, even ask somebody. I'm, I'm big about respecting chain of command. You know, one of the tenets of deliberate optimism. The first one is gather accurate information. And so I tell people, if you think your principal said that or did that or is thinking that, go talk to them or your superintendent, you know, or your legislator, but go to the source. And as teachers, I think that's a really good starting point is if you think somebody, there's been a miscommunication or there's been a disrespect, go to that person and just in a respectful way say, this is what I heard, you know, and help me understand, is this what you meant? That is just, you know, Let's give people the benefit of the doubt and let's give them the benefit of explaining themselves before we judge. Debbie, thank you for that. I, I wrote down to gather accurate information. Don't assume anything about what others say or mean. I think that's also a peer-to-peer -peer accountability structure that can be implemented in schools because it allows for that more empathetic approach rather than assuming somebody is being mean to a kid, let's say in the hallway. I was a middle school principal as well, so I'm a middle school person. <laughs> rather than assuming somebody's just being mean to a kid in the hallway to say, is it, you know, is something going on today? Mm -hmm. Oh, you, I just want to check in because that's not how we talk to kids and that's not like you. And just to 
give that benefit of the doubt, it allows us to hold one another accountable without making judgments. Absolutely. And I love that you said that because I don't know how we're going to make it through this if we don't hold each other accountable. And I you know, most teachers, we're afraid to do that. But I think with the right training and with the right, see, the way you said that was absolutely perfect. Like, this is so not like you. So you're already assuming, you know, the best in them. The words that, you know, when we say, help me understand, or did I miss something? But that's just such an amazingly grown-up professional approach to another adult, because adults want to be treated like adults. And that's one of our big problems right now. Yeah, very true. Debbie, what's one thing that you want to know or be able to do that you don't already? I want to know about AI because I, I'm a little bit scared of it, but I'm also a little bit excited about it. And I want to see how we can use that as a positive influence in education and for kids, especially for individualized instruction, you know, and giving every kid a reasonable chance. If we can do that with technology, I would love to know how to do that. So I'm um, pretty naive about advanced technology. I will say one thing that's helped us, we just had a leadership admin retreat in June and I found an awesome YouTube video, Debbie, mm -hmm. on like 10 hacks for like adults for Ooh. chat GPT. Mm -hmm. And it really opened our administrators' eyes to the power of AI within their own world. And we wanted to start there. Now, I was fortunate because at National School Boards, the gentleman who invented Siri spoke. And Whoa. because of his speech, it actually changed my thinking, where at first we were a little more resistant. Okay, let's think about how we can, you know, protect our work and how mm -hmm. kids won't cheat and kind of went in that normal trail of thinking heard him speak and it changed my my own thoughts mainly because he referenced a Wharton professor and how this Wharton professor has embedded it into his class so immediate I thought well if a Wharton professor is open right. to this I think we can be open to it so that kind of changed the dynamic and now we use it we encourage people to use it we have to figure out a lot in our schools still so we know kids are using it responsibly but I will say we're trying to go through that as well I, th I think TJ wanted to add to this also because it's just a hot button topic and it's powerful. It's just so powerful. The dynamic of AI with human capability. I don't see it anymore as an either or. It's definitely an and. Well, yeah. And the kids are using it. They know about it. So the adults darn sure need to know about it. <laughs> yeah, they better catch up. Yep. We better. <laughs> I think that's where the culture comes in and a culture of just trying. Like chat GPT is so easy to use. You sign up with your Google account, you're in mm -hmm. and you can pick any topic in the world to just have a conversation with that thing. And so I've learned that feeding it helps to feed us back. Powerful well, speaking stuff. Speaking of feeding, TJ, you can give it it like ingredients left in your fridge and it'll give you a recipe. Wow. Like it's, just, it's just wild, like of what it can do. So TJ's point, you feed it, let it generate stuff. I share this story a couple times now. You know, there was an office of civil rights issue out West and, you know, I was running low on time. I wanted my team to read it. I read it, but I really didn't have the time to create thoughtful questions. 
So I cut and paste it. You throw it in chat GPT and it'll create questions. And I don't will. use them all. Like I'm sure TJ can add to this as well. You, you got to edit it, right? It doesn't produce like what you necessarily needed to do at a hundred percent, but it'll launch. And it's that launch that I find because especially as teachers and administrators, it's hard to pivot when you're in one space. It's hard as humans to pivot into another space quickly. It has helped me just learn to pivot faster because it can create some ideas to help me get going. Right. It's like overcoming an inertia problem. It's like, oh, I don't know where to start. And it can get you started. Now, guys, you do have to check the sources because if it doesn't know, it will make it up. No doubt. I, yeah. Yeah. I put some stuff in and I, those are places I need to go read more. They don't exist. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> And it will admit that. But guys, to wrap that around, let's go back to our relationship culture. See who in your school is going to be the most adept at this, the quickest to pick it up. It's going to be your younger Gen Z millennial teachers. Now the veterans are going to them saying, oh, guys, I just need your help. And so what a better way to cement, you know, this we're all in this together kind of relationship than to empower them with this ability to go, OK, let me show you guys some tricks. And for us to be going Thank you so much because I was so lost. Yep. Reverse mentoring. Yes. It's exactly. a great concept. Yeah. And it does build that collective efficacy. I'm going to make sure we link to some resources on that in the show notes. Debbie, this has been absolutely fantastic. You've given us a lot to think about, a lot for our listeners to think about. I've taken pages of notes and pages <laughs> of quotes from this interview that we'll put on our website when the interview goes live. Is there anything else that you would like to add today? for listeners that you didn't say a request anything not really well there's one thing I want uh, teachers to know especially teachers trying to grow on my website www.debbysilver.com I have loads of handouts I'll be putting more up there as I develop things I want those to go out to anybody that needs those so they have to put in the secret login password so that is I am a teacher that's lowercase no spaces I-A-M-A-T-E-A-C-H-E-R if they forget it or lose it, all I have to do is email me, Debbie at DebbieSilver.com and just go, I'll be glad to share. That's the joy of what I do. I'm not in classrooms per se anymore. So the joy I have is helping those who are the leaders and the teachers. And I want people to come to me and just say, do you have this? Do you know this? Whatever. And that's always there. So I'm here to help. Great. And we'll link to that in the show notes. We'll put the password in the show notes and folks can listen back to make sure that they have it. This has been awesome. There you have it, folks. Another great podcast. Don't forget to follow our blog at theschoolhouse302.com. Blog posts, podcasts, video blogs, book recommendations, and more always on the topic of leadership. We hope that you enjoyed this episode of Leading Better and Growing Faster with Joe and TJ on how school leaders can inspire their staff, create cultures of relationships, and so much more with Debbie Silver. Thank you, Debbie, for being on the show. Oh, thank you, TJ and Joe. Hey, leaders, before you go, one more announcement. We now have available for you our candid and compassionate feedback masterclass. Really, because of high demand, we are thrilled to offer this. This is a course that we run live and in person all the time and leaders love it. They learn to give feedback with skills that they can use right away, including better praise to lift and celebrate your team. It's now available in a virtual online format that you can take on your own, self-paced from the comfort of your office or home. 
here's what you'll get. There are 11 lessons with a focus on nine candor cancellations that we wrote in our Candid and Compassionate Feedback book. These are mistakes that leaders make that we don't want you to make anymore. We'll teach you models so that your feedback is meaningful and we'll give you tools necessary to build the culture that you always wanted. Trust us, without these critical skills, you're not capitalizing on your own capacity to lead better and grow faster. Go to the site, theschoolhouse302.com, click on shop courses, add this course to your cart and start learning today.